This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I recently had a nice note from Robert Hamer asking if I could play another episode of The Lives of Harry Lyme. Well, Robert, your wish is my command. The Adventures of Harry Lyme is one of the most successful series created by prolific British radio producer Harry Allen Towers and his company, Towers of London. Now, the main character is played by Orson Welles, and the music associated with the show deserves special mention here. The Third Man is a 1949 British film noir directed by Carol Reed. And one night, after a long night of filming, The Third Man on Location in Vienna, Reed and cast members Joseph Cotton, Alida Valley, and Orson Welles had dinner and retired to a wine cellar in the bistro where they heard the zither music of Anton Karras, the 40-year-old musician who was playing there just for tips. Reed immediately realized that this was the music he wanted for his film. Karras spoke only German, which no one in Reed's party spoke, but fellow customers translated Reed's offer to the musician that he compose and perform the soundtrack for The Third Man. Karras was reluctant at first, since it meant traveling to England, but he finally accepted. Karras wrote and recorded the 40 minutes of music heard in The Third Man over a six-week period. The music provided by Karras is an integral part of the program, as you'll hear in the episode In Pursuit of a ghost. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme, the fabulous stories of the immortal character originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras. You come in the theater just as the curtain's going up. The band's playing something exciting, Latin American. The stage is alive with color and dancing against the background of a marketplace in Central America. Suddenly, someone with a Spanish accent as broad as the East River shouts, El General, and everything comes to a halt. El General sweeps in wearing a broad sash, handlebar mustache, and a big menacing frown that scares nobody. He mutters something about La Revolución. A couple of shots ring out, a few chorus boys drop gracefully to the ground, and the entire company breaks into the first big production number. But revolutions aren't like that. There's no music playing, no scantily clad dances, no comics. The guns have real bullets in them. I know. So I was mixed up in one of them. I'll tell you about it.
And now, Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man in In Pursuit of a Ghost. There's no sense in identifying the Central American country where I found myself in the fall of 45. Any of those who were involved in the revolution are still alive, of course. I've caused enough trouble. Anyway, I was in a waterfront cafe in the tiny country's capital, and there were only two of us at the bar, yours truly, Harry Lyman, a derby-hatted little Englishman who looked about as much at home as a burlesque queen at a church picnic. Yeah. Yeah. How about having a little drink with me, Governor? Oh, thanks. I don't like drinking alone, either. Oh, American, I? Yeah. Thought for a moment you were English. Sorry to disappoint you. Oh, it don't make no difference. Oh, thou was hoping for a word about home. What'll it be, Gaffney? No scotch, if I have any more. Hi there, matey. How about finding a little scotch for the gentleman here? Scotch para el caballero. Si, senor. Scotch para el norteamericano. Pronto, senor. Ah, oh, gracias, amigo. You never learned that lingo in petticoat lane, you know, <laughs> You're right there, you are. I've been in this blooming country for ten years now. There's plenty of brass here, I can tell you that, I guess. Honey, I've heard of this stuff. It's been a long time since I had my hands on it. Oh, down on your uppers a bit, ain't you? You said it, man. You said Scotch, it. Scotch, senor. Thanks, gracias. No trouble was it, senor. <laughs> no trouble. Well, here's to your increased fortune. And to yours. Uh, you've been here a long time. You might be able to steer a fellow onto a good thing. <laughs> There's no way of making an easy living here. There ain't the blinking government controls, all the gambling, the lotteries, the casinos, everything. And if the revolution succeeds, it'll be worse. Revolution? Oh, maybe I shouldn't have let that little bit of information slip. Oh, right, I don't go around talking. How will it be worse? Well, it's this way, Governor. For a long time now, a bloke they call General Valdez has been brewing a spot of trouble. He's a rough customer, he is. But up till now, he, he ain't had the money to buy arms and ammunition and our soldiers. And now he's got the money? Yeah, that he has. A gent from the States, he's financing him. American financing revolution? One of them blokes you call gangsters up in the States. He'll have a good thing he will. Still, he's taking an awful chance. If the revolution fails, he'll be facing a firing squad. Not bloody likely. He's too smart for that. The way I hear it, he comes down here, he makes his deal with General Valdez, and then he hightails it out of the country, goes to Havana someplace to wait it out until Valdez is sitting in the driver's mm, seat. He's left the country, eh? That's right, Governor. Well, I suppose he stands pretty well with the revolutionists. Now, I used to know a few guys who got mixed up with the rackets back in the States. I wonder if happened to know the general's friend. The one who's financing the revolution. Yeah, do you happen to know his name? No, that I don't. Down here, they just call him El Sorrel. It means the fox, and he's that all right, I guess. The way I saw it, this New York gangster wasn't going to be the only foxy guy to make a good thing out of the revolution. <laughs> the important thing was to make contact with General Valdez first. Half a dozen different kinds of pitches went through my mind as I headed for his stronghold. You are a friend to uh, El Soro? That's right. <laughs> Glad we're both on the same team. I'd hate to have a fight with you. Huh? You're the biggest and strongest looking fellow I ever saw outside of a sideshow. You are a friend of El Soro, huh? Mm, he told me to come down here from New York. We, we we were pals together back there. I guess he had some sort of job lined up for me. I'd like to talk to General Valdez about it. All right. General Valdez will speak to a friend of El Soro. Follow. Bien. It's Jose, El General. Enter usted, por favor. Uh, this senor is friend to El Soro. He tell him to come here. 
He told you to come here? They were close friends in New York. I see. Uh, he wrote me all about you, said he thought we'd speak the same language. We ought to get acquainted. When did he write to you? Oh, well, it was quite a little while ago, but I was tied up when the letter came. I got down here as soon as I could. Uh, you were tied up? <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is I was broke. I had a hard time raising the price of the passage, but I figured if there was anything I could do to help a friend of El Zorro, I... Uh, you're still uh, broke? Stony, stony old man. Uh, Jose, get $200 from the safe. Give it to Senor... Uh, uh, Lime, Harry Lime, and I... Certainly appreciate the... Uh, uh, we will not mention problems. it, though money is very scarce with us just now. Scarce? I thought El Zorro gave you all the money you needed before he left for Havana. So, it is to Havana he's gone. Yeah, send me a postcard from there. It was forwarded here. <laughs> great guy. We do not think he's such a great guy. What? Here's the money, senor. Well, thanks. What's the trouble between you and El Zorro? He's a very clever man. Mm. We made an agreement. Perhaps one you knew about. Oh, uh, sure. He was to finance half of the revolutions, my compatriots, the rest. Yeah, sure, I knew all about that. Uh, he was to handle the fighting. He was to take care of the finances, the procurement of guns and ammunition. One million dollars that we have collected, we turn over to him. And by morning, he had disappeared. <laughs> so he's in Havana. Eh? Well, that's what I heard, but I... You will go to Havana and bring him back. A what? You will need money in your pocket, of course. That is why we have given you part of what little we have left. But you will not double-cross us. You will be watched at every moment. Should you make one false move, a bullet will enter your back. Uh, look, I think I ought to tell you something. I'm not a friend of his. I never met him in my life. I don't even know what he looks like. <laughs> it's a big joke here. <laughs> Senor, life is very comic, gentlemen. Uh, not being funny. I never heard of this guy until this morning. Cockney I met in a bar told me about him. The bartender, remember? It's a little cafe near the Plaza de Madrid. It had roosters painted on the walls. Cafe El Gallo. Yeah, yes, that was his name. Just ask the bartender. Ah, to prove our fairness, I will make Jose make inquiries about the imaginary cockney when he drives you back to your hotel. But you're not making things easier for yourself by denying your friendship for El Zorro. When you check up on my story that I met this... Oh, I will save my breath in your lime. Jose will drive you back to your hotel now so you can get some rest. You will need it. <laughs> Gargantuan Jose dropped me at the hotel. I went in one door and out the other, and then I hurried to the railway depot, bought a ticket on the first train out, which wasn't until 3 a.m. Wanted for a few blocks until I saw the reassuring sign, Policia. Never had any love for the police, but now they represented some protection from General Valdez. After all, he was a revolutionist, an outlaw. Thought gave me a little comfort. I headed into a nightclub across the street and sat down amidst chattering cocktail drinkers. Hadn't been there long when my eyes were suddenly drawn to one of the most seductively beautiful women I've ever seen. She was a tall, slender brunette. She was sitting alone. There was invitation in her eyes. I armed myself with a couple of glasses of champagne, one in each hand. Walked over to a table. You know, it's strictly against the law for beautiful women to sit alone in bar rooms without a drink. I was waiting for a friend. <laughs> well, I'm very friendly. I come bearing champagne. If I sat down, would you scream for the manager? I would not scream very loud. It is bad for my voice. Ah, you're a singer. I knew it. It was your artistic appearance that appealed to me. That's really why I made like a St. Bernard. Well, I would like a drink. But you look more like El Lobo to me than a St. Bernard. El Lobo is the wolf in Spanish. And you don't like wolves in any language, no? No. No, I don't mind. As long as their claws are not too sharp. Some girls pretend they do not like the roving males. But women are all complimented by attention. I, uh, I like wounds like you. I love your frankness. What's your name? 
I am Consuelo. And you? Uh, Harry. To Consuelo? I didn't have quite so much on my mind. I... Oh, poor Harry. You big American businessmen are all alike. All the time you must worry about money matters. Mm. There are other things in life. And anyway, worry does no good. Oh, you're right. All the worry in the world can't change a thing. Well, we'll have another drink. No. no I'm afraid to drink anymore on, uh, how you say, an empty stomach. I uh, might lose my head. Mm. Well, let's have dinner together first, and then both lose our heads. Are you a good sport, Harry? What's up? You come with me to my little apartamento, and I will cook for you a real Spanish dinner, something you cannot get in a restaurant. It is made with chicken and rice and white wine. Uh, sounds like quite a dish, Consuelo. May I say the same for you? When she'd given the cab driver a dress, Consuelo... Slithered back in the seat and melted in my arms. This was all of the good. But I started to ask myself why the most beautiful woman in the world had gone for me like it was a combination of Clark Gable and John D. Rockefeller, the best features of each. I opened my Rockefeller, the best features of each. I opened my eyes. Only I didn't look at one, so I, I looked at the driver in the front seat. Even from the back, I recognized him. Driver! What is the matter, darling? I want to see what the driver looks like. Turn your face around this way, driver. See, Senor Lyme, anything to oblige. Oh, sir, it's not your fault. You should have begun to think before you bought the ticket at the railway station. Taken in by the oldest dodge in the world, Harry Lyme. Now, do not let us forget our manners, darling. I walked right up to you. You didn't even have to wiggle your little finger. Why are you taking me in this rattletrap, Jose? Oh, not far in this, Senor Lyme. But this is only the first leg of your journey to Havana. Still the same old record, huh? Did you find out at the cafe that I was telling the truth about the Cockney? I've been inquired all over concerning a Cockney. General Valdez is right. There is none. The bartender, what did he say? Didn't he remember me? She, he remembered you well. He said you drink scotch. Yes, I drink scotch, but... Uh, he said you were in there all alone. You did not talk to anyone in the cafe. Well, the whole thing's a dirty frame. I'm not taking it. I'm going to... <sighs> oh, Jose, you hit him so hard. This time, but with my fist. Perhaps next time, it will be with a bullet. We see how we behave in Havana. Orson Welles returns in just a moment as the third man. Orson Welles, as the third man, continues with In Pursuit of a Ghost. (laughs) 
Everything was black, blackened and purple, with nice little polka dots of green light. This went on for a couple of thousand years. Then I realized I was lying down and the bed was soft, but it kept pitching, sliding out from under me. I could feel the throb of a ship's motor. He's waking up, General. Mm, for a while, I thought you'd never would. I hate pulling a line as old as this, but where am I? Uh, we are on our way to Habana, Senor. Uh, yeah, I guess that. But, but this, this ship. A private yacht a friend was kind enough to lend us. We are the only passengers aboard, and the crew are all very loyal to me. That should answer what you really want to know. You're going ashore to find your friend, to bring him and the money back here. Jose and I will wait on the yacht for you. Jose's a very rough-looking customer. Mm. Yes, Jose, I think you could influence my friend more easily than I. Neither Jose nor I dare show our faces in Havana. Were our present known there, it would ruin everything. No, Senor Lyme, <laughs> you will do the job for us. But you will be watched by our friends, watched every second of the time. Look, old man, this whole thing is pretty silly. I don't even know the man I'm supposed to find. The statement is ridiculous. We will not go into that again. All right, so he's my pal. My pal. I'm supposed to get him to leave Havana and come aboard this yacht. Do you mind telling me how I do it? That is your problem, senor. <laughs> but I can tell you this. If you fail, you will not leave past tomorrow night. By two in the afternoon, I checked in at the Hotel Nacional, wandered along the Prado, looking at all the sidewalk tables for somebody who might look like a resourceful New York gangster. And I consumed half a dozen dikeries at Sloppy Joe's, but I wasn't any closer to the solution of my problem, finding a man I didn't know, making friends with him, and persuading him to tuck a million dollars in his pocket and come aboard a strange yacht. But if I didn't get back the yacht with him, well, there wasn't any sense in speculating on that. I'd seen the look in Valdez's eyes. The general was playing for keeps. I walked for endless miles. I took buses. I traveled by camp. Finally, at 3 a.m., I landed about four miles out of the city on a little street they call Hot Dog Alley, a sort of skid row lined with Roomba palaces. And there, at a table in one of the noisiest of the joints, I saw him. I knew it was him, tall, dark, and just reeking with rotten money. Also sitting beside him, holding his hand and nuzzling up to him, was Consuela. She was looking straight at me and not making any sign of recognition, so I took my cue from her, wandered over the table, ignored Consuela, and stood looking down at him. Hi there. Here. Oh, I thought for a minute there I recognized you. Yeah. Maybe I've seen you someplace. Do you happen to be from New York? Go away. Can't you see I'm busy with a lady? Funny you sound like a New Yorker. Okay, so I'm a New Yorker. A scram. Anything you say, El Zorro? Huh? Where'd you get that name? We can talk about where I got it if you really want to be a little friendly. Okay, so we'll talk. Only this ain't the place. I'll get rid of the babe and meet you somewhere where we can be alone. Where you stopping? Nacional. Go back there and go to your room. I'll call you in an hour or so. Who do I ask for? Harry Lyme. Be waiting for your call, pal. Who is it? It is Gramsvelo. Let me in. All right, babe. Now you're in. Comes next. Please, 
We have not much time. Please do not fight with me. I did not know they were bad men, honestly. They said it was some sort of a joke on you, that you were a big businessman and you were working too hard. That they had planned for you a little vacation and you did not want to go. And then you flew down here ahead of me to help me enjoy my vacation. Only well, you happened to bump into El Zorro before I got here. General doesn't even know you're here, huh? Checking up on El Zorro and me. Oh, you fool. They do not know that I am in Havana. They double-crossed me. They do not pay me. So I fly down here for myself, like you say, on my own. I want that money. Looks like money is going to be a very popular thing. What am I supposed to do, steal it for you? Listen, Harry. El Zorro dropped me near where he thinks I live about ten minutes ago. He was going back to his hotel to call you. What's his real name? What hotel's he at? His real name is Pietro. He calls himself Pete. He's staying at the La Paz. And he keeps the money right in his room. I know that. So? When he calls, you get him to meet you here. You keep him away from his hotel for half an hour. And I get the money. Mm. How nice. Then, you lose him somewhere. You meet me at the airport. We get a private plane. And we fly to Europe. Just you and me. You and me and a million bucks. Hmm? <laughs> Makes a pretty picture. Okay. Harry, what is wrong? Why are you looking at me like that? Don't you trust me, Harry? What do you think? Of course I trusted you. About as far as I could throw the hotel nest, you know. Consuelo is a beautiful girl, but nobody's that beautiful. I have a very good nose for a frame-up. I could smell this one a mile away. You may think I'm fussy, but I don't like being played for a sucker. Twice. So I gave the lady time to get started, and then I put in a call. Hello? Hello, Pete? Yeah. Harry Lyme speaking. What do you want? $100,000, Pete. Go ahead, you kid. What's all this about? Oh, we're fellow Americans, Pete. I want to do you a favor. For 100000 bucks. I know about the million, Pete. I also know that General Valdez and his boys have followed you down here. Yeah? They know where you've got the dough, Pete. Is this on a level? Not only that, they've got every means of escape all corked up. You're not getting out of here, Pete. Not without my help. What can you do, Lime? I can get you out of Cuba alive. I want a fast answer, old man. Let's not quibble over money. You're getting a bargain, a hundred thousand. I slip you out of Cuba into some spot where you'd be safe. I have my own yacht and a crew I can trust. How do I know you're telling the truth? Easy, because I'm giving you my first tip off for free. That girl you are with tonight. Yeah? Well, old man, she's one of the gang. She's on her way to your place now. Wait ten minutes, then leave your hotel, give her a chance to get in, then go back. You'll find her going through your thing. I'll give you a chance to settle things with her, and then I'll call for you. Have your things with you, including my hundred grand. It's a deal, Harry Lime. You're a pal. <laughs> big crowd outside the La Paz Hotel by the time I got there. It seems a beautiful girl had been arrested robbing a room. The police took her away. Bye-bye, Consuelo. Peter was waiting on the corner. He got my cab. A few minutes later, we were in a tender heading for my yacht. I appreciate this, Harry. Oh, that's all right. There ain't many guys that do this. Not even for a hundred G's. Here, want to count it? Hmm. One hundred bills, one grand each. No, no, man, I'll check it later. That's the rest of it in the black bag? Sure, I bring all that, though. You don't worry, I'd leave it in Cuba. No, I guess you would. Where, where do you think uh, you want to head? Uh, South America, maybe. I guess I'd better talk it over with your captain. Yes, that's a good idea. Well, this is my boat we're pulling alongside of now. 
Hey, this is a pretty fancy boat. Well, climb up, old man. Okay. Now, just swing yourself over there. That's the boy. Hey, pretty nice here. Yes, yeah, shape. Which way are my quarters? Go in here to the bar first. What do you say? Okay, but let's make it a quick one. I'd like to get some sleep as soon as you show me where I can flop. I'll show you where you flop, Bill Sordo. Was he? And there's another friend of yours behind you. Oh, where? General Valdez. Adios, Senor El Zorro. Ah. <laughs> Jose, pick up the little black bag our friend El Zorro dropped. <laughs> he won't need a million dollars where he's going. And you go to your cabin, Harry Lime. We'll send for you when we want you. I've never been very fond of unnecessary arguments, so I went down to my cabin, threw myself on my bunk. I hadn't eaten since I landed in Havana and had too much to drink, but it wasn't only the liquor, I was tired, too. Dead tired. Dimly, I could hear the anchor being raised and the engine starting up, and then suddenly all Hades broke loose. Now, what in the name of... There is another of the revolutionists. Kill him, too. Uh, but I, I'm not I'm not one of the revolutionists, I swear. I, but please. Ready. And go. No. Do not fire. He's not one of them. As you say, El Capitan, the general and the others are all dead. And we can now see to the running of the ship. Well, Harry Lyme, I hope you're proud of your role Just as a, a thwarted revolution. You, you're, you're the cockney I met in the bar that first day. But Yes, a cockney dialect is one of my accomplishments. In Central America, the captain of police must have many disguises. Captain of the police? Yes. But... You see, you thought you were extracting information from me that first day. You were merely following the powers of suggestion. Old man, I don't even begin to follow you. You followed me very well. Every idea I planted in your obviously conniving mind. With your help, we have recovered the money contributed by the poor, misguided citizens of my country. We have erased the revolutionary leader in a, from a place far from his henchmen. And El Soro, who would have been dangerous yet, is now dead. Well, then, I'm in the clear, after all. <laughs> I saved your government yes, for you. Yes, that you have, Governor. But then part of the money... You will be permitted to leave our country with every cent you entered with. Yes, old man, I, I was broke when I arrived. Yes. You see what I mean, Senor Lime? Yes, yes, I begin to. I, I just begin returns in just a moment.
now, Harry Lyon. My only comfort was the cozy feel of a roll of greenbacks, 100 grand warming my breast pocket. Cerny was a smart cop, but he didn't know about that, but we do, don't we? Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. And the episode first aired in 1939, Molly Wants a Budget. The Johnson Wax Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present... Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, thank you, everybody. My, my, it's nice to be back. <laughs> well, it's nice to have you back, Molly. Well, what are you waiting for, Mr. Wilcox? I want to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Molly. We also have Donald Novice, the Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Fine and Dandy. a sure way to banish your spring cleaning blues. Let Johnson's self-polishing glow coat put a grand shine on your floors and linoleum without any rubbing or buffing. There's no work to it at all, you know. You just pour the glow coat onto the clean floor, spread it around with a cloth or the long-handled applier, and in 20 minutes it dries to a beautiful glowing finish. Now there's a special sale at your dealers of Johnson's wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat right now. You can get both the regular wax and glow coat in giant-sized cans. When you buy a pound, you get a pound and one-third. When you buy a pint, you get a pint and one-third. Now, this sale is for a limited time only. So if you want to get one-third more for the regular price, we suggest that you phone your dealer the first thing tomorrow morning or go to the store and ask for Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat in the special money-saving giant-sized cans. by now, Molly is home again. And after looking over the household bills accumulated during her absence, she's a trifle flabbergasted. And here in the living room at 79 Westful Vista, we find the defendant and the plaintiff in the case of income versus outgo, Fibber McGee and Molly. McGee, look at this milk bill. 
What on earth have you been doing? Sprinkling the lawn with it? <laughs> that is a little high, ain't it? What say we get a cow? Why, who'd milk it? Oh, you got to milk them? <laughs> no, you just leave some empty bottles around the barn and then go out in the morning and rob the cow's nest. <laughs> Do you have to milk them? And how about this electric light bill? Oh, is that high, too? Is it high? Well, look at it. Looks like the annual report of the TVA. <laughs> well, I was up late a couple of nights reading. You don't want me to be ignorant on current events, do you? <laughs> no, but what events have been worth this much current? <laughs> <laughs> now, look here, dearie. Answer the door. Okay. Insurance, man. 45 cents, please. 45 cents for insurance? McGee, what is this? Plate glass insurance on your diamond lodge pin? Now, <laughs> oh, listen, Molly, I took this out while you was gone. It's, it's great stuff. You see, for only 45 cents a week, you get a complete coverage on being struck by lightning, being lost at sea, and, and tell her the other features, bud. Oh, yes, do. Uh, well, madam, uh, this policy also covers you against capture by Chinese bandits, accidental injury from harpoons... Uh, submarine collisions, runaway camels, falling pyramids, stratosphere sickness, and double indemnity for being bitten by a Mediterranean fruit fly. <laughs> Imagine that, Molly, all for 45 cents. I wanted a clause in there to cover us against being knocked out by the Sunday paper, but <laughs> that would have been another 10 cents a week. Well, oh, that's wonderful. Does it protect us against getting our fingers pinched in the encyclopedia? No, madam, that would require a physical examination. No. <laughs> Shall I give him the 45 cents, Molly? Sure, give it to him. Then run out and round up a couple of Mediterranean fruit flies. <laughs> Hungry ones, mind you. Here you are, bud, 45 cents. Oh, thanks. You'll never regret this, folks. Why, just last week, one of our policyholders, a bellboy, collected $9.32 for getting his left ear caught in a keyhole. Well... <laughs> I suppose if there'd have been twin beds in the room, he'd have got double indemnity. <laughs> well, good day to you, sir. You don't think I was wrong taking out that policy, do you, Molly? Oh, no, McGee. It was a lovely stroke of business. In fact, we can put in a claim right away. Huh? Claim? On what? Capture by Chinese bandits. Huh? Look at this laundry bill. <laughs> oh, I don't think that'd work, Molly. My shirts couldn't stand a physical examination. <laughs> They'd flunk the butt analysis. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? I said they'd flunk. That ain't funny, McGee. Oh. <laughs> but now let's get down to business. We've got to work out a budget. I'll keep the book. Swell. I'll run downtown and get a set of books and a sample budget. Shouldn't cost more than two. I'll answer it, dearie. Okay. 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee speaking. To whom am I speaking with, please? Who? Mert who? Oh, oh, that's Mert, the telephone operator, Molly. Uh, I'll talk to her. Oh, no, you won't. Huh? What was it you wanted, please? Mr. McGee is busy right now. Oh, I am not. He is, too. I mean, what? <laughs> oh, you'll call him later on. All right, dearie. Goodbye. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. McGee. Who's Mert? Mert, oh, oh, she's just a telephone operator. I, I never met her. Just talked to her on the phone. <laughs> just kidded with her and stuff like that there. I see. <laughs> Honest, Molly, don't you believe me? Wait a minute. Folks, them of you who've listened to our other shows, will you please write and tell Molly that I ain't ever seen this Mert? Tell her that I never oh. had it. All right, McGee, let it go. I believe you. Okay. 
But now, uh, speaking of operators, look at this telephone bill. Huh? $34. Can't Europe settle its own problems? Did you have to call them up and give them advice? <laughs> what you mean, Molly? Why, we've got to cut down on using the telephone. Okay, let's have it taken out. I'll build a little coop up on the roof and we can use carrier pigeons. <laughs> you think their cooing would help our billing? <laughs> oh, you was always one to go to extremes. Now, you run down and get some bookkeeping ledgers. Okay, I'll call a couple of taxicabs right away. A couple of taxicabs? Sure, I gotta come back, ain't I? Mm. Sometimes I doubt the necessity. <laughs> You'll take the streetcar. Okay, but that's false economy, Molly. It's a waste of time, and time is money. Go on, now. It'll do you good to ride the streetcar and rub shoulders with the common people. <laughs> I guess you ain't rode on the streetcar lately, Molly. It ain't your shoulders that gets rubbed. <laughs> I'll be back in a little while, and then we can start. Hello, Fibber. And hello, Molly. Oh, hi, Billy. Hello, Mr. Mills. How would you like to hear Don Nova sing, You're the Only One for Me? Oh, that would be nice. Isn't that the Irish number he sung with Ronald Coleman in Bulldog Drummond? Yes, it is. Oh, Bulldog Drummond, eh? Well, take off his muzzle, Billy, and let him howl. I got to run downtown and buy some bookkeeping stuff. Well, trot along, McGee. What are you waiting for? Oh, ain't you going to kiss me goodbye? Oh, <laughs> of course, dearie. Goodbye. Oh, uh, are you leaving too, Billy? No, he ain't. He's got to stay and play for Don. Go ahead, fellas. You're the one for me. I am a plain-spoken fella. No flowery language is mine. A little uncouth. And to tell you the truth, poetry's not in me line. Still let me try with a song To tell you what happened when you came along I saw your smile as I passed you by And I says to myself, says I, says I There's the one, the only one for me I caught a glimpse of a roguish eye And I says to myself, says I, says I There's the one, the only one for me Poet might speak of the blush in your cheek as the bloom of a rose newly born. Your voice, the refrain of a song of the rain in the light of a bright April morn. I saw an angel from out the sky, and I said to myself, says I, says I, there's the one, the only one for me. I'll not pretend you're the first one I've courted a last year too I've trifled a bit And quite frankly admit I have kissed more than a few I may have fibbed in me youth But this time, believe me I'm telling the truth I Ah, oh, your smile as I passed you by And I said to myself, says I, says I There's the one, the only one for me I caught a glimpse of a roguish eye And I said to myself, says I, says I There's the one, the only one for me Oh, poet might speak of the blush in your cheek As the bloom of a rose newly born Your voice, the refrain of a song of the rain In the light of a bright April morn 
I saw an angel from out the sky and it says to me, says I, says I, there's the one, the only one for me. Am I standing on your foot? I don't know, mister. Jump up and down once. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's my foot. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey there, Johnny. Did I collect your fare? Oh, are you the conductor, old-timer? I ride for half fare, you know. Me? I says I ride for half fare. This is a broadcast, and radio is still in its infancy. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the... Hey, step four in the car, please. <laughs> How was I saying, Johnny? Oh, yes. That ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it. Excuse me, conductor. May I please have a transfer? Uh, you won't need none, daughter. Just tell the other conductor that Joe sent you. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> eh? Oh. <clears throat> uh, the way I heard it, Johnny. <clears throat> One feller says to the other feller... She says, this Joe Lewis does a lot of fighting, don't he? Yep, says t'other feller. He must get pretty tired of it. Why shouldn't he, says the first feller. To him, life is just one round of fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's you and me go to the next Lewis fight, Johnny, if you can spare a couple of minutes. Okay, old-timer, but I never seen anybody so intoxicated with price whiting as you. <laughs> You're practically punch-drunk right now. <laughs> hey, here's where I get off, old-timer. Okay, Johnny. Let the young fella through here, folks. One side. Whew. Wish I'd have been born rich. To me, a streetcar ride is just a mob scene parted in the middle. (laughs) What's the joke, bud? Oh, nothing much. (laughs) I'm an artist. (laughs) You are, eh? One of your brushes tickling you? (laughs) No, no, I'm a modern artist. (laughs) I paint those screwy-looking things, you know. (laughs) Hey, they don't make any sense. (laughs) I know, but what's funny about that? (laughs) I just had an exhibition (laughs) and somebody bought one of them, the darn fool. (laughs) I've always wondered which got framed the worst, the picture or the buyer. See, now, where'd be the best place to get a set of budget books? Oh, hello there, Fibber. Where are you bound? I'm looking for a bookstore or a stationery store, Harpo. Our bills have been too high, and I've got to get some books and make out a budget. Oh, say, that's a fine idea. I have a budget myself. Oh, you have? You got it with you? Sure, right here. Take a look at it. Oh, that's very interesting. What's this item here? Entertainment, 20 cents. Gee, that must have been quite a fling. <laughs> well, it was. The 20 cents was for car fare out to the Better Housekeeping Institute. Oh, so that's your idea of entertainment, the Better Housekeeping Institute. Is that the only toot you could think of? Listen, I have a swell time out there. Here it comes, folks. <laughs> Whenever I show them how easy it is to use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, 
and particularly how they can save money right now by stocking up with those special giant-sized cans with the extra third free. Why, nothing's too good for me. Why, they make me fudge or panucci or taffy apple or something. You can see how much that saves on meals in my budget. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Why didn't you hide in the oven till morning so he could get your breakfast free, too? <laughs> well, I tried that a couple of times, but somebody always comes along and sticks a fork in me to see if I'm done. <laughs> well, watch that budget, Fibber. Remember, the close-fisted guy of today is the open-handed guy of tomorrow. So long, pal. Wolf Rockefeller Wilcox. <laughs> Boy, does he budget. He saves so many pennies, the government buys up his old pockets for Indian reservations. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh, here's the stationery store. What can I do for you, fly trap? Oh, hi, Boomer. You working here? Yes, having a special sale today on asbestos diaries for red-hot mamas. <laughs> oh, I don't know any red-hot mamas, Boomer. All I know is smolder women. <laughs> smolder women. That's very good, very good. A little far-fetched, but you never were any judge of distance. <laughs> Listen, Boomer, you got any ledgers in here? I'm going to start a budget. Is that so? Fine thing, a budget. Tried once myself, but I had trouble with my incidentals. Got them confused with the et ceteras and the miscellaneous. <laughs> well, what's the budget for, Pinchpoke? Business, household, or personal? All three. If business ain't better in our household, my wife's going to get personal. Ah, I see. How did I put those budget books? I have them right here somewhere. Let me look on these shelves. Interesting lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Budgets, 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 uh, Here's a bottle of invisible ink for feminine correspondence. Nothing a girl cherishes like an old, faded love letter. Roll of blotting paper. Ever make a study of blotting paper? Very absorbing. Now, come on. Come on, let's see a budget. Oh, yes, certainly, certainly. Must have one here someplace. Let's see now. Here's some gold points for fountain pens. Nobby little nibs, aren't they? I'll take a handful. Might want to have a tooth filled. What's this? Package of paper. Wonder how it got so dirty. That's carbon paper. Oh, so it is. So it is. Thought for a minute it was brunette stationery for blackmailing. <laughs> Here's an old computing machine. Might use that in your broadcast to add your libs. <laughs> well, well, imagine this. I found the budget book. <laughs> <laughs> Very good one, too. Yours for only $3. Okay, here you are. Don't wrap it up. I gotta be going, Boomer. Yes, well, so have I. Here comes the owner. Might be a trifle embarrassing to explain what I'm doing behind this counter. Hey! <laughs> Can you imagine that? And I thought he was working in there. <laughs> the crook. Well, let's see what's in this budget book anyway. Hmm, husband's clothing... Per year, $1,200. Hey, that's great. I ought to get a nice outfit for that. Say, uh, buddy, uh, can you spare a dime for a cup of coffee? <clears throat> Wait till I look at my budget, bud. Oh, yeah, charities per year, $350. Well, I might as well clear that up for the year. <laughs> Here's 100 bud. I'll meet you here tomorrow noon and give you the other 250 All right, but don't keep me waiting. I'm going to the races. <laughs> okay, bud. Now, let's see. Wife's clothing per year, $1,500. Boy, won't Molly be happy at that? <laughs> this is a wonderful book. Gee, I never thought we could do it. Well, how do you do, Mr. 
Gio. It's so nice to see you. Oh, hi, Mrs. Uppington. Where are you going in such a hurry? Oh, I must get down to the caterers, Mr. McGee. You see, I'm giving a tea, and I must get some advice about the hors d'oeuvres. Oh. Why, do you know the anchovies I bought simply refuse to respond to the curling iron? Oh, yes. yes. Oh. Curling the anchovies, eh? Mm. <laughs> Some stuff. <laughs> How do you get the toothpicks into the little sausages, Uppy? With a bow and arrow? Oh, now, Mr. McGee, I'm afraid you're twitching me, really. <laughs> I twitted myself with that one. <laughs> oh, and that reminds me, my, I'm so glad Mrs. McGee has returned. Do tell her to come to my tea on Wednesday. Just a simple homey affair. Only 60 or 70 people invited, you know. <laughs> oh, that sounds very chummy. <laughs> Where are you holding it, at home or in the ale bowl? <laughs> Oh, very amusing. The ale bowl. I can just see some old mug in a frock coat plunging around your left end with a piece of cake. <laughs> well, I'll tell Molly, Uppy, and much obliged. She'll be glad to get a free meal now on account of we're on a budget. Oh, really? Oh, My, yeah. how fascinating. Yeah. Oh, I've been through that budgeting nuisance myself, you know. Even now, I often say to myself, Abigail, you naughty girl. Not another string of pearls until next week. <laughs> We're so nice to have seen you again, Mr. McGee. Good day. <laughs> Not another string of pearls till next week. Wonder if she realizes how many oysters she's throwing out of work. <laughs> I'll see this budget book again. Alarms for... Hello, Fibber. Started your budget yet? I just got the book, Billy. You see? And we're going to come out a lot better than we thought. Oh, that's swell. Yeah, for instance, according to this book, we can spend $3,600 a year for groceries. And our grocery bill has never been over seven or 800 before. <laughs> that's quite a saving, isn't it? <laughs> yes, you ought to finish the year with a mighty nice little deficit. <laughs> I'll say so. And believe me, we ain't going to touch that deficit except in case of emergency. <laughs> well, where are you going now? Shopping. I'm, I'm going to buy our clothes for the whole year now and get it over with. See? This budget allows me $1,200 and Molly $1,500. Ah, that's more clothes than we ever had in our lives. That's wonderful, ain't it? And if it hadn't been for this little budget book, we'd have never been able to have done it. <laughs> well, can't you wait a minute? Hear the four notes sing the Hawaiian war chant? No, I can't, Billy, but I got a lot of shopping to do, you know, but you go ahead and play it. Folks, the four notes singing the Hawaiian war chant. Take it, kids. <laughs> There is an island in the blue Pacific. Those who have seen it say it is terrific. When the ladies walk along, you can hear them sing a song. How do you go it up a lake? How Ooh, ah, a newly boy, tapalehi. 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 Ooh, ah, a newly boy, tapalehi.
Vanilla heat, peel it to a lua, put it to a lua, eat it to a toe, and boy, it up a lady. That's how a warrior go to war. And only boy, it up a lady, top a lady, top a lady. Shopping done for the whole year now. Gee, will Molly be tickled? Fifteen hundred bucks worth of clothes. Boy, I hope she likes her hat. Oh, hello there, little girl. Hi, mister. <laughs> well, uh, move your tricycle and let me by, will you? I, I got to get into the house. You live around here? Sure, I do, I betcha. Where? Hmm? I says, where? Where do you live? With my mama. Well, where does your mama live? With Papa. <laughs> we all live there. Where? Hmm? I said... Oh, shucks. We're right back where we started. Oh. Have we been someplace? <laughs> no, we ain't. Well, then how can we be back? <laughs> that... You could... Oh, forget it. What's your name, little girl? <laughs> Teeny. <laughs> Teeny? Well, that's a cute name. Sure it is, I bet you. <laughs> Don't you live in that house on the corner? Oh, you mean the brown one with the brick porch? Yes. No. Oh. <laughs> Say, mister, you know what? No, what? Hmm? I says what? Did, did you see my pop at the playground last night? No, I didn't. What was your father doing at a kid's playground at night? Well, I bet you he was there, I bet you. Huh? He said so on the telephone this morning. He did? Yeah. He said, boy, we sure were swinging last night, weren't we, Charlie? <laughs> Where'd you say you live, little girl? Right over there. Oh, in that house? Mm-hmm. Oh, then you're, you're the little girl whose mama is... Say, I got some news for you, little girl. I met somebody downtown, and they told me you just got a new little baby sister. Anna? Yes, sir. Ain't that great? Oh, that's dandy, I bet yeah. I guess I gotta go now. Give me a push, will you, mister? Sure. Where are you going? I'm going down to the hospital and tell Mama. Gee, will she be surprised? Goodbye, mister. <laughs> But her mom will be surprised, all right. But I never knew a surprise party yet that the host didn't know about long beforehand. <laughs> see, where'd I put that budget book now before... Oh, yeah. Hey, Molly, I done it. I got the budget book. And that ain't all. What? I done all our shopping for the whole year. Boy, is that a wonderful budget. What? 1500 bucks for your clothes? Yeah. 1200 bucks for my clothes? Charity, 346 Oh, oh, oh hold it, McGee, hold it. Come down. Heavenly day. Yeah, but look, Molly, look at this budget. It's marvelous. Quiet, Igernut. There's something funny here. Let me see that book. Okay, here. You see where it says about the charity? McGee. Huh? This budget is for an income of $20,000. Why, sure. What? It is? You mean I got to make 20000 this year to pay for all? Oh, well, what's the difference? I can handle it. I got the whole world ahead of me. Oh, you have, have you? Yeah. That isn't the world in front of you, dearie. What you mean? You're behind the eight ball. Awesome. 
Hey, Molly. Yes? Are you still, I mean, am I, uh, <laughs> do you forgive me for making a mistake and buying all that there silly stuff? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure, we all make mistakes, dearie. <laughs> but now after this, don't be so extravagant. Well, I, I guess I have been at that. Yes. <laughs> Matter of fact, <laughs> that ain't all. <laughs> what? I got into a pretty stiff poker game the other night, too. <laughs> oh, why, that's terrible. Yeah, I won 13 bucks. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat racing Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Life with Luigi, followed by Suspense. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.